Hi, listeners. This is Josh Zygmunt, host of the HR Works podcast and content director of the HR Daily Advisor. Welcome back to another great episode of the HR Works Showcase, where we team up with the brands you know and love from the world of human resources and people operations, handing over the mic and letting them hit record for a change. These are the episodes produced for you and by you, the great members of this HR community. Today, we're back with the latest installment from Bamboo HR's podcast series, The Era, sharing episode 10, titled Leading a Workforce with Generational and Cultural Differences. How do you know if your employees actually trust you? Many leaders start with generational assumptions about creating a successful company only to undermine the human factors that enable performance and genuine trust. Listen as host and Bamboo HR CEO Brad Wrencher explores this concept with Oro Collective's managing partner and founder, Teresa Mitrovich, and they discuss how helping employees of all generations and backgrounds to better see the common value in humanity can ultimately be the key to overcoming workplace challenges. This is a good one, so let's jump in. Welcome to The Era, where Brad Wrencher, CEO of Bamboo HR, asked the question, does putting employees first really lead to better business outcomes? We think we know the answer, but let's dig in and find out. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the next episode of The Era, where we really go deep on the fundamental hypothesis that the employee experience is really a key driver of business outcomes and ultimately success of in any business. And this is really the conversation that uh, post-pandemic is we're in this kind of future of work era where we're figuring out what are the rhythms that we're going to use going forward. It's the conversation that's dominating the C-suite and boardrooms really across the world. And we are ex- so we are so excited to have Teresa Mitrovich, uh, the managing partner and founder of Oro Collective with us today. And just, to, just by way of background, Aura Collective's mission is to help teams establish psychological safety to where uh, peak performance of the individual and the team becomes a natural rhythm of the business. Teresa is also the author of The Currency of Connection, a book which explores how to, in, how to create energized and resilient teams and build a genuinely human workplace. I mean, that sounds great. What a great focus on bringing some trust and humanity back into the workplace. So check out Oro Collective and the book, The Currency of Connection. So love this. Teresa, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. (laughs) It's such a pleasure, Brad. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to jump in. And and Teresa, is um, she gets an extra gold star today because it's very, very early in Australia um, and so she is up early and ready to go on a, on a podcast. So thank you. My pleasure. So Teresa, let's jump in and talk a little bit about how you arrived at this moment. Um, you've got, you've got really deep, um, professional experience at, 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 at large and very, very prominent companies with Disney and Hasbro. How did that lead you to founding the Oro Collective? Like, what's that journey like and, and how did it bring you to this moment? Okay, uh, great question. I it was actually Hasbro. It was actually a coaching as a manager course at Hasbro that I was super reluctant to go on. That really is, is where my, my world pivoted, basically. Um, the senior leadership team were all, I was going to, I'm going to say forced to go on this uh, coaching as a manager course. I was a typical A-type, super busy, super, you know, um, super determined leader. And I really couldn't afford three days out of the office, but I did it anyway. And it was the experience 
that that gave me mm. uh, and the lessons it taught me and 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 the breakthroughs that we had at work. So if I tell you that we had nine months to run into the end of our financial year, we tripled our profit. The team were working 90 minutes less every day. I was working two hours less every day. So thinking about employee experience, getting your work done in less hours, yeah. right? And as a human, you know, I was a single parent at the time, so it was amazing for me. Um, and the quality of our work improved dramatically and, and the, the morale in the team was just phenomenal. And I, at that point, I thought to myself, you know, it's had such a dramatic impact. This, this, these concepts that I thought were really simple and pedestrian and just yeah. too simple to be effective um, have had such a dramatic impact on my experience, my team's experience, and on the profits of the bottom line of the organisation. Um, that it's, it's really, it's hard to ignore. It's hard to, to diminish. And at that point, I thought, you know, I, I, I very nearly missed out on this and I very nearly missed out on giving this to the team and to the organisation. So how do I get to a place where I can help people who are like me um, embrace these concepts and actually put them into practice so that they can get the same results and the same gains that, that we did? So that's so kind of that's, where it started. That's incredible, Teresa. So it all came back from 72 hours where you were, you were <laughs> yeah. forced to go to a... <laughs> Uh, to basically a coaching course or whatever, however mm-hmm. it was structured. Yeah, an offsite coaching course, yeah. And then light bulb went off for you and the team and the rest is history. Mm-hmm. The rest is history. And I've used I've used what I learned there um, in every role I've had since. So from head of marketing at Hasbro, I went, I, I did a small stint in a recruitment company and then, which taught me all about, you know, client relationships. Um, and then I went into country, a country manager role for the Walt Disney Company in New Zealand. And, I took a lot of what I'd learned into that role and we had phenomenal success. So that was kind of a, that was a turnaround role. Um, and so the skills that I learned, have, I've carried through every job that I've had. So Universal Pictures in London, I, wow. you know, I was able to, I was able to broker things that had never been done before. Uh, so the skills that you learn stay with you. You know, it's, it's like they said, when your mind has been stretched by something, it can't go back to its original shape. And what struck me is it's not just about, it's not just about the outcomes that you get. It's about the way it creates this, this incredible ease in your life, you know? And and when you have ease, you're more able to be compassionate with people around you. You're more able to roll with what is, you know, you can adapt and rather than having to kind of react to things constantly. So it makes a really big difference. I, Teresa, I can see why you are really, really good at what you do. I'm ready to, I'm ready to go and get coached up. And it's funny because I, I have a, I have um, uh, um, a few, a few um, uh, college students who I'm kind of mentoring informally, and and mm-hmm. and they really want to play dot to dot with careers. They really want to be mm-hmm. like, I do this, and then this happens, and then I, this happens. And they want to yeah. just go dot to dot. And and I'm trying to, to help them understand that is not the way <clears throat> your professional life is going to unfold. It mm-hmm. is kind of built experience on experience. And like you said, you learned something. And now I, I can't go back to what yeah. I the way I behaved in my structure before. But what an exciting professional journey you've had that's, that's just yeah. unfolded this kind of step by step. It was amazing. I've I've been really lucky to have some incredible experiences globally and work with the best people, the very best people. So I'm very lucky. But I hear what you're saying about, you know, careers aren't linear. They're not step to step. I think maybe they used to be maybe 50 years ago, but they're yeah. not now. And that's not what growth looks like. Yeah. That's not what development looks like, you know. And um, I think 
part of what I love about being involved in the working world because people say to me, why don't you just be a life coach? And, yeah. you know, wow, but what, I'd be missing out on this incredible experience of being able to work with leaders to, to change the shape of the work environment, which is where we spend most of our time anyway, right? Yeah. And so I think particularly for college graduates or college students, when they think about their careers, it's it's almost like um, you, you've got to stay really open to to the possibility and you can't do that if you're mapping it out. So it's great to have a vision of where you want to go, but let the journey unfold in front of you because in, incredible things happen when you focus on following your nose, doing what you love and being constantly in a state of growth and development. Yeah. And so as you think about this and you think about mm -hmm. the experience that that recent college graduates or, you know, 20 year professionals are having, like in your words, how do you think about employee experience? So in the simplest terms, I think employee experience is it's almost like a, a give and take contract or give, it's a dynamic relationship. Right. Mm -hmm. Employee experience is either adaptive and growth oriented and a positive experience or it's maladaptive, stunting and detrimental, you know, so the employee experience we have. Um, so, so employee experience for me is really around that exchange of value. What do we get? What do we give? Hmm. And what does it feel like while we're doing that? And okay. So this, on this exchange of value, you have, yeah. you've got this rich um, global experience where, you know, you've, you've worked internationally, globally, pretty much your entire career. What differences do you see in different markets? And is there a one size fits all approach to employee experience and this, or how do you think about that with your global kind of, you know, experience set? So there are differences in terms of, um, so I think part of employee experience might also be the employment, the employee contract. Yeah. So, you know, we have employment contracts, right, which are all written down, but then we have this other employment contract that is, um, it's not expressed. So it's this hidden kind of expectation that we have of what our company is going to give us. That absolutely changes depending on whether you're in Australia, NZ, London. Um, and so those are the three areas, those are the three cities where I've worked and, there are some very definite, definite differentiations between the three. Um, what I love about the UK is that in August to summer, so August, pretty much everything goes quiet, right? No one's expected to respond to anything. It's, you know, there's this mass, mass expectation across the country that everyone's allowed to go on holiday. You don't get that in NZ and you don't get it in Australia. Um, but, but then when you look at, um, at the UK, people work some really crazy long hours in London and, and you do have to do that. London's a very, you know, it's, it's got that same kind of vibe as New York, right? It's very go, go, go. It's on all the time. So you 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 feel like you if you're not at the top of your game, then you're you're rapidly losing relevance. So there's there's no margin. In NZ in Australia, it's a lot more relaxed. It's a lot more collegiate. Um, and so the experience that you expect to have is more, um, it's more it's more relaxed, you know, uh, and more friendly. Um, which is nice, but it can sometimes make it hard to to get accountability right. So there's kind of always these slight differences culturally between different markets um, or different different cities. But what is what is consistent is I think what people want from the experience. So I think what people want from the experience is to be able to do good work, be appreciated for it, have an opportunity to grow, and um, and to continually develop and. So I think that is standard across all the markets that I've been in. Um, and what changes is the cultural dynamic 
that exists within the workplaces. Uh, and yeah. that really comes from what we've, what we've grown up with. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and I do think I love, thank you for that. That's like, that was a very, very um, concise explanation of how um, differences in how, uh, how work gets done in different markets mm-hmm. may impact how employees are showing up or how they're experiencing that. But I love the common underpinning. Like sometimes like people will come and talk and say, well, gosh, I just don't know that that this cohort of, of, of talent that we're trying to attract or we're trying to grow and develop, they just don't seem uh, as motivated. They don't seem, they seem more, mm-hmm. you know, laid back. And they take some of those cues as, the the underlying motivation for that cohort of of people, and mm-hmm. I just I just think that that's super limiting because I think that as humans we where we spend our time we want to show up and have an impact. I I have a I have a um, a a relative to where his his father tells a funny story when he was a this this boy was a teenager and and was getting not great marks and you know at school and grades weren't what they should be that my um, my relative said to him, he's like, like, do you like, what are you looking to get out of life? Like, what are you trying to accomplish here? And his answer was, I'm just looking to be just, you know, mediocre. And, um, and, and, and it's always made me laugh to think about it. I just don't think that anyone comes to work and says, you know what I really want to do today is I want to show up and just be super mediocre. I think we all want to have an impact. I think I agree. And a lot of times we don't quite know how to do that. But mm-hmm. um, but I think having that as an underlying thought pattern, I think for leaders is powerful. Absolutely. I think we've got to be really careful not to make assumptions or to, to at least recognize that we're making assumptions at some point. And it, it, um, when I say recognize we're making assumptions, sometimes we make assumptions without realizing that's what we've just done. Right. All those biases are really based on assumption. And when we think about the fact that there are five different generations in work right now, of course, we're going to have differences of opinion around what work ethic looks like and what is acceptable. Um, So if we find ourselves assuming a particular set of characteristics or trait because of the way someone's behaving and and apply that to an entire generation or an entire cohort, we're at risk of missing the message. And the message there is actually younger people want a better quality of life. And you know what? I think everybody does. I think everybody who is trying to balance life right now wants that. I think this this great resignation or re, the, the great reflection or the great realignment, whatever you call it, I think that's the rest of the world catching up and going, actually, these guys are onto something. Life is bigger than just work. And life is bigger than just work. But work is such a huge chunk of it that I'm with you. I believe that we actually do want to do something worthwhile. We do want to be able to contribute because Human beings essentially want to know that we are valued. We want to be part of a tribe. We want to belong. We want to contribute and be valued. And so, of course, like the the very first place we do that is work, right? So let's give everyone an environment where they can actually do that. So my thinking is if someone's not doing a good job uh, or or, or wanting to be mediocre, they're probably in the wrong career. Because when you find something you love, mediocrity isn't even, you know, it's not even on your mind, you know? Yeah. And so you spend the thing that I love about what you that where you've chosen to engage mm-hmm. is with leaders, um, mm-hmm. and you're helping leaders be better leaders. I think 
I mean, I, I, I subscribe to the philosophy that, you know, a lot of times employees don't leave companies, they leave managers. Um, and so mm-hmm. what do you think is um, what leaders need to improve on? What do they need to learn? What do they need to change in order to really improve the experience that their teams are having? So honestly, and and of course I'm going to say this, right, because I focus on psychological safety and trust, but I've created this model called psychologically safe performance. And essentially it's a triangle with performance at the top, psychological safety at the bottom left, trust at the bottom right. And psych safety and trust are the load-bearing pillars that enable sustainable performance, right? So I know from experience that it's really tempting to focus on performance. And that's what leaders always do. We have to, right? Because it's about keeping the lights on, keeping people employed, keeping their business relevant and, and successful and giving it longevity. But what leaders need to understand is that if you focus on performance, you're actually risking undermining your performance because often we focus on performance to the exclusion of the very human factors that enable that performance. So what I think leaders really need to understand is the role of psychological safety and trust in being the preconditions or the load-bearing pillars that enable performance to actually happen. And I'll give you um, a quick theoretical example of that. You'll be familiar with uh, Bruce Tuckman's forming, storming, norming, performing model. A lot of a lot of leaders that I speak to think that they're in the performing part of that of that model. And you're smiling already. <laughs> Most of them are not. Most of them are still in the storming phase, right? So a lot of people think that they have trust. They think that they understand trust. They think that they have trust in the team. What they have is counterfeit trust because they no one actually feels safe enough to be genuinely vulnerable. Therefore, it's not true vulnerability-based trust. It is counterfeit trust. It's it's um it's kind of it's a commitment and a willingness and an anticipation of kind of wanting to trust others and hoping to trust others, but it doesn't actually, it's not grounded in anything real. So it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't um it doesn't ever hold, it doesn't ever last, you know? Um and you'll, and you'll see this with leaders who think that they've got trust and if they need to build deeper trust or or improve team connection, they'll have team lunches. Team lunches don't help because team lunches are, you know, few and far between. What matters for leaders is that you think about what you're doing every day. And it's like safety and trust. If you're doing that every day, if you're practicing sincerity, if you're practicing connection, um, competence, consistency, credibility, if you're practicing those things every day and you're role modeling them to, their te- to your team, then you start to create um, an entirely different employee experience. You change the way that your employees are showing up, the way that they engage in their work, and the results that you get um, on the other end of it. So I think psych safety and trust are the two things, or two of the key things that leaders really need to understand to really support a human-centered workplace and um, and to create sustainable engagement and sustainable performance. Because if you're working in a knowledge economy in particular, yeah. you know. You need to make it safe for people to to speak up and and fully participate. And you know, and I love I love the visual of psych- psychological safety and trust being these load bearing pillars mm. of 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 performance. And you know, and the thing the the model that you're talking about resonates with me because 
it's not, you know, a lot of times, you know, like leaders, like when you didn't want to go to that, that three day session, you're like, I got too much to do. That's all soft and soft. And it's like, but you're tying it back to the language that leaders are, that hold themselves accountable to, which is, Mm -hmm. look, you want to get the best ideas out there. You want to have a team that's high performing and ultimately you want to drive outcomes for the business. And Mm -hmm. so our, our psychological safety and trust are the, how did they link? You got two pillars, but what's the crossbar look like? <laughs> so, so this is where it starts to get a little bit trickier, right? And this is partly why I created the model is because psych safety comes first. Okay. Psych safety is this, um, so, so I see psych safety slightly differently, right? Psychological, I, I basically break it down to its brass tacks and say psych, psychological is about what's happening in our mind and our emotions. So it's that that dynamic, and safety is about knowing that you that you're not going to be, uh, you're not going to you're not putting yourself at risk and you're not causing risk or harm to others. So that's how I view psychological safety, and I think it gives us a really good lens on the post 2020 world, right? Mm-hmm. Because everything's been stirred up. So psych safety comes first. It's an internal um, assessment we make based on the level of risk or safety that's in our immediate environment. And that extends to individual relationships, relationships with the team and leader, but also our relationship with an organization or the work that we're doing, right? Some of us hate it because we have relationships with everything, right? With money, with religion, with each other. So psychological safety is this internal you know, this internal calculation, are we, am I safe or not? If we are safe, then that permits our, our our ability to trust each other. So if we don't have psych safety, we don't trust. Hmm. So when you see artificial trust, it's absent psychological safety. So psychological safety, so here, here's how I explain it. Psych safety is the difference between connect and protect in your mind. If you don't feel safe, you're going to protect, which means you're going to be in your, in the, in a, in the limbic part of your brain, which is protect mode, right? You shut down, you go, you, you retreat, you go quiet, you withhold information, mm. um, or you can go the other way and you act out. So introverts will kind of pull back. Extroverts often will act out, sabotage, get grumpy, get aggressive. So that's 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 when you can see an absence of psychological safety. You see those behaviours either withdrawing or acting out. When people feel safe, then they open up and start trusting. The depth of psychological safety shows you it shows up in, in the depth of trust and then trust is kind of that, that's what we see right trust is people speaking up trust is people doing the work raising concerns raising questions raising potential risks um and 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 closing that say do gap so committing and then following through um and from that comes performance so that then determines the level of performance that you get so when we have trust we're moving from that connect uh, sorry, from the protect mode into connect mode. So we move into our prefrontal cortex, which is our executive brain, where all the good stuff happens, right? Um, innovation, creativity, connection yeah. with others, problem solving, all that great stuff happens in our prefrontal cortex. But we can't get there if we don't feel psychologically safe. So in, in your model, it really all starts with psychological safety. Like it you does. can't get to yeah. trust. You can't say, I'm going to start with trust and then come back to psychological safety. It, your model is actually... It doesn't work. That is the counterfeit trust you were just talking about. It is. It is. So, and here is the tricky thing. So, so once you understand all this, it becomes super easy, but yeah. <laughs> but the understanding takes a little bit more time, right? And a little bit more coffee, but the trust So, what leaders, what leaders need to understand is that they can't necessarily build psychological safety, but they can create the conditions that enable it. 
Yes. Because psych safety is an inside job, right? I was going to say, how do you, it's not yeah. like you can see oh my goodness. what's going on in your head, Teresa. You don't have yeah. a little word cloud <laughs> above your head, right? That yeah, there's not little see. speech bubbles going, hey. Yeah. yeah. And also, it's not your job, right? So if, if, if you and my manager, Brad, it's not your job to to get to gift me psychological safety or make me feel psychologically safe. That's a that's a that's a massive ask, because my psychological safety is a it's it's a combination of everything that's happened in my life up until this point, mm. right? What you can do is create an environment at work that is conducive to psychological safety. So um, when it comes to psychological safety, the leader's responsibility is create human-centered work environments that that remove stress and remove friction. And um, and the other thing, the, the other thing leaders need to do is recognize the difference between connect behaviors and protect behaviors. Protect behaviors means they're not feeling safe, and you can explore that. Connect behaviors is when they're leaning in and participating, and that's you're good to go. But it's when you start seeing those protect behaviors um, that you need to start thinking about uh, prioritizing trust a little bit more. So trust is actually where leaders leaders take more action, more kind of proactive action. And that becomes about what you're doing every day and consistency. And so it's really about um, it's about this relationship of creating uh, creating an environment where people can demonstrate their own competence, credibility, consistency, and connection, but also doing the same in return as a leader. So it's not about one-off, you know, or quarterly uh, experiences for the team. It's about the team. It's about the employee experience every single day. It's what you're doing consistently. How do we communicate? How do we review performance? How do we set targets? How do we discuss, you know, what's, how do we discuss the difficult uh, topics that are coming up or the risks? How do we hold each other accountable in a way that feels as though it's developmental, not destructive? I think that it's, um, I'm, I am, this is so fun um, because I'm, I'm learning (laughs) and I'm reflecting on my own professional journey and Mm -hmm. saying, when did I feel safe? Um, when did I do my best work? And you start to draw mm. parallels and connections in your mind to where, right. oh, I felt it then. But have I ever been, have I, if I'm being honest with myself, have I been in protect mode in my career before? Yeah, I have. Mm-hmm. And, right. You can see it. You know what it feels like. You know what like, it feels you know like. What? I'm just going to hold this part back for right now. Yeah. Because I, right. you know, like you kind of hold it close and you're like, I think yeah. I should probably do this, but no. And you, you can see how everybody, and you're always making that assessment in your head. You, it's a constant assessment and it's natural. It's, it's hardwired into us, right? Because that's what humans do. We, we deeply want to belong, but we also don't want to be ostracized, hurt, um, victimized. So we protect ourselves as well. So we're constantly juggling that. And it's it sounds like it's a really difficult thing for leaders to do, but I promise you it's not that hard to learn. And it's when you learn it and you nail it, it's so much work becomes so much more fun. Leadership becomes so much easier. And the whole experience, the, the employee experience for everyone just shifts. It's phenomenal. And so what I love that you 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 dropped a couple nuggets in here that I want to go back and mm-hmm. pull and pull sure. out. And one was on trust to where you said this is where the leaders are really gonna live and where they're gonna act. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. And the way that you do this isn't by, because a lot of times when, when teams are struggling, what do I find leaders, leaders sometimes ask for? They're like, hey, Brad, I need some budget so that I can take my team to lunch or we got to go do a team building activity. Team building. Yeah. 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 And to where I don't know how many billions of dollars are spent globally on team building that you're making the point that actually doesn't get at the root cause because no. it's what we do every day is what you're saying. 
Mm-hmm. So if you've got a problem with trust as a leader, what do I need to do? Do I need to look in the mirror? What do I need to do? So what you need to do, so so I, in, in the book, one of the things I talk about is there's this really simple model for building trust, right? It's called the four C's. And it's it's broken into two parts, capable, how you demonstrate your capability and how you demonstrate your character. So capability is about your competence and your consistency. So are you good at what you're doing? So as a leader, I, are you are you a good leader? Are you, like, what does a good leader look like in your eyes? And are you doing that? But also, are you doing it consistently? Or do you have good days and bad days and the team just have to weather whatever is coming, right? So if that's on the capability side, but the character side is around credibility and connection. So connection is around how do you build, how do you, how do you connect with others? How do you build rapport? How do you recognize the humanity in someone else, not just the functional role they're there to deliver? And the credibility is how how often are you create yeah, how often are you following through on what you say versus a say do gap? And this is why team lunches and team building doesn't always work because you fall over at the credibility point, right? You say that you're doing this stuff to create this cohesion across the team and to kind of really change the team dynamic and build morale. But what you end up doing is you have a great time while you're away. You just, you know, you all connect. You have this incredible moment of we're in the trenches together and, oh, wow, we're all feeling the same way. And then you go back to work and nothing changes. Mm. Right? You go out for lunch. You have an amazing team lunch. And then you come back, but the same issues still exist. And the problem is, is we're not solving the, we're looking at a problem and we're solving the surface problems that are arising. We're not looking at it at the source. We're not tracking it right back to the source and going, actually, what's going wrong here? We have a fundamental lack of trust that's showing up because we're not being consistent and credible in what we're doing. And so we've got to change. And so it really is about what we do every day. So the model inside that triangle model, there are four other components to it. There's self, team, leader, and system. And each of those components have an influence around site safety, trust, and performance. So they each play their role in either creating friction or creating ease. And so that's kind of, you know, and that's the four something inside were self, team, leader. And what was the and last one? System. System. Okay. How, the, how yeah. it all comes together to work together. Yeah, and also because and system is kind of a lot of the stuff that you guys are working on at Bandu HR, right? It's all of that stuff that it's 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 the system that we sit within, that we work within. It's the processes that help us to do our work. Yeah. And if you compare Bandu HR to some of the other platforms that are out there, there is a different there is a different um, sense of humanity about the Bandu HR platform. It's, it speaks more to the human centered uh, design um, elements than than the mechanic kind of uh, corporatized way of just looking at output only. It looks at an experience as part of the the overall outcome, right? So um, I think that's, I think, Teresa, you're talking I, about that. And, you know, yeah. we we do talk about that as a product team all the time. I mean, our mission is we we talk about, we want to set people free to do great work. One of the yeah. ways that we do that is, as you're as you create do tasks or whatever in bamboo, we do like to have these little moments of humanity to where it's like if you if you um, book some paid time off, we're like bam, like enjoy you know enjoy your holiday, and to where it's little fun things like that to where um, it just it just shows people that like hey there is that in your model, it's can we start to create connection via the system that changes the way people show up. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that most people miss. And so it's one of the things I loved about your system is that 
it recognizes that there's that there's an opportunity here, a missed opportunity to create a connection through the system. Um, so, and it's not just yeah. how you're doing it, but it's also what you do as well. So the frequent touch points for review and accountability is really important as well. This is like blowing my mind and and the the competence, consistency, what you do every day. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, if you go to a great lunch and you have a great time, but you come back and as a leader, you show up the same way. It's like mm-hmm. and every every intentional thing you do, you should be like, how am I going to show up differently based on this? Mm-hmm. And and that connection, I know there were so many times I started my career, Teresa, in financial services, which is not known for valuing <laughs> humans. And there were there was one time I remember um, I remember as a junior employee that um, I, I don't know if I gave some feedback on a project or I, I had something and the senior partner at the time said, you know what, like where you are in your career, you're a unit of production. We give you things, wow. you do it, you output. And he said it kind of funny. Like, I think he was hoping to, to like, to get a laugh, but thinking about that now, I'm like, actually, I think he believed that in his mind. Like yeah. as a, as yeah. a person is like, you're not meant to have a human connection. You're just here to get the stuff done. Would you just get it done, mm-hmm. please? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the scary thing that, about that, Brad, is that um, I, I I think I was like that before I did the coaching as manager course. And I think a lot of us are. I think a lot of us grow up learning yeah. that it's about output, you know, yeah. and what we don't ever get taught is, that output, it's like a sausage machine, right? Crap yeah. in, crap out. So yeah. you've got to, if, if, you, if you focus on the quality going in, what you get on the other side feels easy and is remarkable. Um, but yeah, if leaders just think about, it's re- it really kind of, you know, at, at its nub, it comes down to sincerity, right? If you think about how am I showing up? Am I de- how am I demonstrating my competence and allowing others to demonstrate theirs? Likewise, you know, am I consistent or do I have days where I'm really not great? And does that mean that actually sometimes I need to not show up on those days or be doing deep work in my office or whatever, but, yeah. you know, work around it, right? Because um, humans need to see consistency to be able to trust you. They don't trust in consistency. Um, so literally those those four those four different, the, the four C's model is really helpful to go, how am, I, how am I demonstrating these things? And how am I allowing others to demonstrate it themselves? Because yeah. we all grew up in a time where, we were we, we were a function of output, so we you know we were there to create an output. We weren't there to create value. And when you think about creating value rather than creating output, you're thinking about being productive versus being prolific, right? Effective, not efficient. You're thinking about quality, not quantity. And that's a very and and that that excites and inspires people um, if you give it the right kind of environment to for, 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 people, for people to get inspired. So I love the I um, love the value. Because everything, everything we try to do, we try to focus on that the outcomes, the value, not the output. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love that. So let, let me, let me. Um, um, one final question: um, mm-hmm. If I'm a leader and I I see signs on my team that I, the people do not feel safe, that we're lacking mm-hmm. trust, mm-hmm. where should I start? Maybe we've had it before and we lost it because I showed up in a non-powerful way. But, Mm -hmm. okay, this was a big mental model. What do I do differently tomorrow than I just did today to start on the journey to reestablishing psychological safety, building trust? Okay. So um, I automatically think about a leader being in a room. So it's the first thing that comes to mind, you know, a leader being in a room with their team. um, If you... 
if you sense that you've lost the trust of the team or there's not psychological safety in the team, then your response is different than if it's an individual. If it's an indiv- if, if if you notice something, if you notice protective behaviours in an individual, have those conversations quietly and discreetly, out, privately with them, yeah. um, and have conversations around. Hey, um, so what I, what I recommend to leaders and, and what works really well for my clients is if you, is, is is having side conversations with people who are withholding and. And saying to them, I noticed that you're not speaking up in the meetings. Your opinion really matters. It's like your voice, your view is a unique one that does matter. And so we, I, I want to help you um, speak up more. What can we do to make that possible? So having those conversations, like, what can I do to help? Help me understand. What can I do to help? How can I help you? Um, when it's a team, it's a little bit different. So when you notice, if you're in a team meeting, as happens, right, and team members are behaving badly and you realise that there's a lack of trust, the best thing you can do is call it out. So if you, whether it's behaviour on the team or them not trusting you, be brave and call it out. So, and and I have done this when I've been facilitating in person and I do it when I facilitate online, I call it out and say, um, I'm, you know, I'm noticing a real tension here. Can we just, like, is it just me or is, you know, is everyone feeling really uncomfortable? What's the elephant in the room that we're not talking about? What is it that, you know, and find discrete ways for them to feed back to you. But if someone, if if on the flip side of that, you're watching team members behave really poorly uh, in front of each other in a team setting, then just like, be again, being brave and saying, hey, I get that you're really upset. And that's a really valued, that, that's a really valid opinion that's coming from somewhere, right? Like all emotion is information. So as a leader, one of the best things we can do for ourselves is to realize any information you're getting is is valuable. Your, your challenge as a leader is to harness it. Mm. and convert it into something good, right? So tension is great, but turn it from emotional into creative. So call it out. Say, that's I, I love the passion that you're bringing. Right now it feels really edgy. How do we convert that into something that's really useful for us? Like, what do we need to, and this is what I do, I do this with my coaching clients as well. I say to them, okay, so I've heard what you said is X, Y, Z. Is there a question in that? Or what is the core concern or issue that, that, that you're worried about in that? So you don't need to tell them off. You don't need to blame them or shame them or yes. anything like that. That's not helpful. But you can say, what's the nugget in there that we, what's the risk that you want us to be aware of? Or what is the question that we need to solve? So, Teresa, that is, um, I think it's fantastic and really, really clear for leaders. If you're saying, hey, if you're listening um, and you are a business leader of a small business or a large business or you're in HR and you have to coach leaders across your team about how to do this, I think there were some nuggets that you left us in there, Teresa, that are actionable. Um, in terms of how we start to show up. So I just want to say thank you, Teresa. This has been a just an amazing conversation here on the ERA podcast. And love the work that you're doing at Oral Collective. Thank you for being um, a, a, a partner. And for me, um, this hopefully this conversation for everyone was impactful as we think about the employee experience and how that can start to unlock psychological safety and trust the two um, uh, weight-bearing pillars of peak performance and um, the business outcomes that we're looking to drive to. So just been a fantastic conversation. Teresa, thank you again. Thank you so much for having me, Brad. It's been such a pleasure. Okay, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll see you back in the next episode of The Era. Thank you very much for tuning in. 
Looking for ways to combat the great resignation and keep your very best people? Check out the 2022 Guide to Retention. You'll discover just how hard it is for organizations to retain employees in 2022, why people leave and learn what you can do to boost retention and minimize turnover in your organization. Find this guide and many more helpful resources at bamboohr.com resources and discover more ways you can do great work. That's bamboohr.com forward slash resources. We hope you enjoyed today's HR Work Showcase. Thanks again to our partners at Bamboo HR for sharing another great episode of The Era. If you've enjoyed this latest episode, be sure to check out the previous episodes of the HR Work Showcase for more great insight into building the employee experience. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to the HR Works podcast channel for all your HR podcasting needs and to keep up to date with all of our latest shows from the HR Works podcast family. Until next time, this is Josh Zygmunt signing off.